Welcome to the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. Join the conversation about what makes our streets, parks and public spaces joyful, welcoming places for people to be and to be active. Join me, Eve Holt, strategic leader at Greater Sport, on the journey around the streets as we explore people's freedom to move about without fear. In each episode, we hear about the roles we can all play to make where we live, work and play places where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. We gather stories, experiences and ideas as we speak to strategic leaders, decision makers and lots of local people who are creating the conditions in place for everyday moving and active lives for all. This episode is all about young people, their experiences of our streets and public spaces, and the roles that they can play in making places more welcoming and joyful for everyone. We are powerfully reminded of how far we still need to go to end the normalisation of misogyny, racism, Islamophobia, and other forms of prejudice, discrimination and harassment, which leave many of our young people feeling fearful and unsafe on our streets and hinder their freedom to be active. We also explore some of the cultural changes and trends which have changed the way that young people interact with each other and with their physical environment. We hear about some of the ingredients that are key to creating safe, welcoming spaces for young people, like a community vibe, building relationships between young people and the adults in their neighbourhood so they see familiar people around and about and having other authority figures present in the local area like youth workers and sports coaches who can facilitate stuff to do locally and be relied upon to act as active bystanders. In previous episodes in this series, you've heard multiple times that young people are getting it right when it comes to addressing safety for women and girls, and that the younger generation are a key ingredient in shaping our collective vision for a world where women, girls and everyone can live in communities where they feel joy, safe and feel they belong. But what does this actually mean? How are young people getting it right? And how do we ensure that their voices are heard when we're shaping this vision for the future? So coming up, you'll hear from a group of individuals who are all working with young people or on youth projects in Trafford and across Greater Manchester. We chat about how the world is changing and how our experiences as young people are significantly different to young people's experiences today. None of us were afraid of the streets. We were afraid of some people. But when I grew up, we was never in the house. We was always on the street. And we didn't need to re-own them or own them. There's just places to be. Why it's important to listen to young people. The aspiration is to hear from young people and get their views and, and work with them to make spaces that they feel they've been involved in creating. Because, you know, if you feel that that community is yours, then you look after it. And some examples of where youth engagement is working. 18 months ago, we started doing community engagement on an estate where he said five years ago, our community centre shut down. And that used to have a local dad that had done the boxing in there for 30 years. And we identified four mums and four dads, who, and we've put them through their boxing coaching level one. They've now re-established his boxing club, which shut down five years ago. And the antisocial behaviour has dropped. But first, it would be really silly to do an episode about young people without talking to some young people. In our last episode, you heard Councillor Joe Harding talk about a wonderful group of students from Stretford High School who were taking positive action following a street harassment incident they'd experienced. 
We thought we'd love to hear their story, experiences and ideas for the future and the role that the school is playing in helping all of its students to feel safe on and off campus. And that's where you join us now. My name is Sana and I'm 14. My name is Sidra and I'm 14. My name's Jeremy and I'm 14. My name's Omema and I'm 15. And I'm Sarah and I'm an assistant head teacher at Stratford High. Shall I come to you first? Um, is it Omema? Um, and do you want to just tell us about, first of all, sort of your experience of, there's a Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah, Duke of Edinburgh. Well, yeah, do you want to talk us through that story? Me and my group of of the people who I was doing DLV with, and we were shared with, we were, there, were two, there were two groups, it was my group and um, Sidra's group, actually. So we were together, and then we were, we were screaming at each other because we met each other, so we were really happy that we met each other. And then um, some builder who was working on the sites and everything, he just screamed, he goes, I'll come down there and make you guys scream. And he was doing some weird actions and everything. Of course, we got scared. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm coming down. So he there was there's a bridge and he comes walking, like coming down to us. And there was just a little few steps until he could get to us. And of course, we're all scared. We're, so we, we just run. And with these he- heavy bags on our backs, we run. And then after we saw Mr. Hurst and Mr. Hurst, of course, he had to report and everything. And then, yeah, it was really, really scary because he goes, I'll come in your tent. And it was just really scary because, first of all, I've been through an experience before as well, but it's just scary, like, because there was no one there, there's no parents and no teachers, anything. What an awful experience. I'm so sorry. If he has, like, children or something and he's making young girls feel this way, it's, like, not all right. It's really scary because, as well, I started recording and we were all asking questions just in case we were just, you know, hearing stuff and everything. So we kept asking the same thing. He, he just kept saying the same thing back. So I showed it to my mum and my dad and everything. And they thought I would be safe. It's DOV. It's part of a school trip and everything. And it's, like, for experience and everything. But they were scared for me as well. I found it so, like, stupid that the guy would actually say stuff about us. We were 14, 13 at that time. There was other people on that side. They didn't, they didn't tell him to stop. They said, oh, they're, they're young people, like, just stop it and let them all carry on. No, they, he just kept, they, they laughed with him. So it was a group of construction workers. Yeah. Um, and how many do you think? There was a few of them, yeah. but they were all, like, all over the place. There was one who was, like, mainly doing it. But I think there was about seven of them, right, all together. And they all, were they all men? Yeah, they're all men. Yeah. And whereabouts were you? So just describe the location. We were, like, walking down the canal. So they were on, like, the other side of the canal. In Altrincham. From like Timperley to like Dunham Massey. And it's normalised actually. It's really normalised and it shouldn't be normalised because yeah. it's a traumatic experience. Like, I don't want to go outside on my own or like just go to the park. So, going back to that incident, how many of you were there in the group at the time? Yeah, about eight or ten eight, or something. And then you, so you then ran away with your big heavy bags yeah. <laughs> and went and reported it. Is it Mr. Hurst? Yeah. yeah. We were sat down eating. Like, we were sat down eating on the canal because it was a nice place it was a nice view so and what happened so when you told Mr Hurst he was disgusted he was mad like he was angry I mean I don't blame him though Mm. the thing is I'm really happy that he did something about it yeah so what did he do he he of course reported it to the councils and then he they got Andy Bed. don't have to say his name Andy Burnham (laughs) yeah he got him involved and it was it was just really good seeing him that he actually cared and everything so I think it's as well because I think Mr Hurst's children and feels the same for like other parents who feel like their children will be in danger when it's like a school trip. Mm. And the point of DFA is about kind of growing our independence, isn't it? And a sense of freedom to be able to go and access the world. So immediately that has been curtailed, it's been stopped by that experience. 
Um, so Jeremy, were you in the group as well at the time? No, I wasn't. You went there. But have you heard then about what happened? I didn't, no. This is no. the first time. Is this the first time? So what does it make you think when you're listening? It quite disgusted because I, I don't see why anyone would do that. Do you ever, you aware of kind of men making comments, whether it's, I guess, to women and girls or also to, to boys and men as well? Not really. Like, I don't really travel too far away from my house. So it's like, I don't really see like bad parts. Mm. Because of culture as well. Culture brings up to this as well. Like if you are wearing like a dress that shows like a little bit of your hands or a little bit of your ankles or something, there'll be people like that know your mum or something. And you just comment on it. It could make my mum feel uncomfortable. Because you've got obviously wearing a headscarf and therefore you've got kind of visible kind of faith really. And do you find experiences as being then as a Muslim woman that do people comment on that? It makes me so upset because like I'm trying my hardest to be become like, a proper like um, I'm not I'm not the best. I'm still working on it. Like I don't pray five times a day. I pray. I try to pray my best. Like I try my best. Everything. Obviously, I'm like half black. I'm African and Caribbean, and I think racism is still a big problem. Obviously, it's not like as bad as it used to be, but you still get people who just say things unnecessarily. Like and it's so normalized as well. Just like people is. saying the n word right. and. And people say it in school exactly, as well. Exactly, and they don't, and people don't say anything about it. Exactly, like because I've had someone go around saying, "Oh, she makes my shirts because she picks cotton and stuff like that," and I'm like, I don't get why people feel they need to say it because you're not getting anything out of it. It's awful, isn't it? Like listening, I'm sure people listening, like it's really upsetting actually to think these are your experiences, especially because we're just in a high school and we're still get and we're getting these comments. Like it's so bad. Especially in school, like how she's experienced racism and like how I've been called stuff because I'm Pakistani and they may, they may see, seem, I find it as a joke or they say, oh yeah, you've got a towel on your head. Like, it's not funny. So how do we change that culture? Because that all points to a culture, doesn't it? That people are stopping you from feeling that you're welcome, that you belong, that you have an absolute right to just get about, you know, whether it's school or our places and to feel free. And like that freedom is so important. So there's the actions that you've taken and first of all, like just well done for like reporting that and I'm really pleased, obviously you had a teacher that took that seriously and, and you know, validated that experience of yours and that that's been taken on then, taken to the police and I know you've had, so you've had um, councillor Joanne Harding, who's exec member in Trafford and you've had Andy Burnham as the mayor of Greater Manchester come to the school, haven't they, and listen to your experience and talk about kind of campaigns in Trafford and, and in Greater Manchester to really tackle kind of some of that sort of misogyny and sexism and harassment on our streets. You've managed to already be a real catalyst for change. Are there other things that you would like to see change? I think there needs to be harsher punishments like on the people who are doing these things because if they can just get away with it every time then they're just going to keep on doing it and not change. Do you hear people challenging? Because it's very hard, isn't it? It shouldn't necessarily be left to you to be the one that has to say something. It's often about having other people who are your friends, your allies, your bystanders who can challenge. That can be really hard. Do you see and hear? Do any of you hear people challenging that kind of behaviour? Sometimes, but I don't think as much because when people do challenge it, there's not a huge amount that does happen when people like, try and report it. So you think it's hard to back to what Domi is saying in terms of what are the repercussions then? So Sarah, coming to you, because I know you've been doing lots of work to think about how we can kind of shift some of this culture. Yeah, so it's really sad 
listening to your experiences and I think we try as a school really hard to listen to our students experiences so we've got projects looking at what students experiences are and how we can tackle that and the same with sexism and as much as we can outside of the school building the safety on the streets obviously we are teachers and we're trying to teach curriculum so we do have an in-school group called Be Her Lead and we did a Reclaim the Night march to try and encourage the girls that I worked with to really feel like they could speak out. We did a brilliant session with the girls empowerment group that we run after school and talked about how how our students feel on the streets walking at night and things that they do to keep themselves safe. Obviously, the bigger issue being the streets being safe, not how we protect ourselves. But I was quite shocked by the number of students who said, you know, walking home, we did it in winter, um, doesn't feel safe for them. And they will try and sometimes not come to an extracurricular club because it's going to be dark by the time it finishes and they want to get home while it's still light. Young girls who carry keys in their fists as a weapon, yeah, because, you know, it's just an element of making you feel a little bit safer. And so we had our community police officer in and she was also saying that you can get a free personal alarm um, from the police as well, so... Heads up for that, everyone. And things that she'd noticed about how you can keep yourself safe and the typical incidents that occur in our area and just to be aware of. And then we created kind of after that discussion, our own posters. Yeah, we walked through Old Trafford down to Media City along the water and stood outside the BBC with our posters just as a a stand of activism and a way of having our voices heard and kind of an opportunity for the girls to see that it isn't something that you have to take lying down and even if nothing comes from this and someone reading these posters it was an act of defiance that we walked together as a group of girls in the dark and tried to get our voices heard it's that activism it's what can we do together as a school because we are powerful and we have like How many of us come to this school? 800. And if we all wanted to make our area safer, then we have the power to do that. But it's finding the ways to do that safely and also finding the time because these guys (laughs) are busy, right? (laughs) So we do run um, an after-school group and we've also run um, a whole school survey, which you might remember doing, I think it will have been when you guys were in year eight, about sexual harassment and unwanted communication and do you feel safe? in school and outside of school and have you experienced unwanted communication from people and did you report it and I think there's a really big one of the things we identified was luckily there weren't many experiences in school or out of school but where there were there was a real reluctance to report and that's down to any number of things from feeling embarrassed or feeling shame linked to the incident being worried about the repercussions for them and thinking that it wasn't going to be safe for them to report that and so I think there's a really big piece of work to do around how we encourage and I think that's probably societal as well as within the microcosm of this school so we've 
done a big piece of work around exactly what happens if you do report something has happened to you and how we will listen to your experiences, listen to what you want the next steps to be. Obviously, we have a duty of care and safeguarding that we can't promise to keep anything a secret, um, but we will t always tell the students what we're going to do with the information and talk them through that as much as we can. And we've tried to share that process and make it as transparent as possible so that students do feel more confident reporting. In terms of how we then move on from that, it's now starting to think about how we tackle the attitudes that lead to that behaviour to begin with. So now we've identified, you know, there are some instances inside or outside of school. How do we get to the root cause of what makes people think that they can speak to you like that on the street, in the school building, wherever it is? And that's much bigger than us and school rules or even punishments. It's who who has come up with the idea that they can speak to another person in that way, whether it's based on gender or race or religion or anything. How do we change that? And I think that's where we hope to make our next steps in dealing with sexism, sexual harassment, race. And that's massive mm. Um, so yeah, any any hints or tips? Welcome. <laughs> well, there's a good there's a good number of things that you talk to. There is kind of starting off by listening and actually hearing what people's different experiences are. It's really important. Yeah, a great selection of things that can be done. So you've taken some action. You've managed to get the Mayor of Greater Manchester over here. What would you like to see happen next? Change like me being confident to walk down the streets like alone, like without anybody saying anything to me. So like in the park when I'm walking down to like say something or like scream or you know whistle or something like it's just not okay so I want that to change I want something to happen and people be educated yeah I think educating people is really important because like if they know that they're doing something wrong then then they'll maybe stop doing it it's like Andrew Tate so we were speaking about Andrew Tate and all the guys are like oh my god I look up to him and this and this and that but thing is do you really look up to him though like look at what he's teaching other people especially guys as well just saying that go back to the kitchen that's where you belong clean this and that stay at home it's just stupid yeah I really think people need to be educated on what's right and wrong because people really normalise doing these things but they shouldn't be normalised because it's not right to say these things to people so when have you seen people shift and have that moment where they go, oh, actually, maybe that isn't okay and I can act differently? To be honest, I haven't seen change. Like in my EE class, we were speaking about Andrew Tate and they find it funny, so they play his song. It's not okay. They find it funny. They laugh, they laugh about it with each other. But the thing is, if like you have to think about your mum, your sisters and everything. Like what, imagine what they're going through. It's just not okay. And they keep thinking that it is okay. I think it's really important for us to be able to have this conversation in a, in a space where everybody feels safe. So listening to Jeremy talking, how we include everybody's voice without attributing blame, because it's not all boys. And I think, especially in the school setting, it's, it's a real time of experimentation of what we think and how we feel. What you were saying before about you can be a bystander, so you cannot get involved, and that's good, great, but how are you actively supporting? So how are you being anti-sexist? But how do we make it feel safe for everybody to do that? Because I think the other thing is, like, in that situation that you experienced on the DV, 
had somebody stepped in, are they putting their own safety at risk? So there's so many things to consider when you think about that. But I think for me, what I'll be trying to achieve next in this school is how we encourage other people to stand up, how we make it safe for everyone to say, you're saying you like Andrew Tate, that's wrong. And I don't want to hear you say that. And here's why, without it becoming an argument, without it becoming somebody feels like they can't say that because it's going to lead to an argument. And that's a really big shift that I think we need to see. Things like safety depend on like how you've been brought up, like your childhood, because I know with mine, my parents have like tried to teach me, my brother and my sister, how to be respectful and we know the difference between right and wrong from like a young age. And I feel like that plays a big part in everything as well. So one of the reasons to do this project is because we want people to be able to be active. We want people to live an active life. And our streets and our parks is a great asset for us to be active, whether that's, you know, playing on the way to school, walking to school, running, exercising, kicking a ball about, anything, any way that you want to move and to get about. Doing a Duke of Edinburgh is a perfect example of encouraging people to get out and enjoy our outdoors because we know it's good for our mental health, our physical health, our social connectivity for a whole load of reasons. Do any of you, so are there things that you enjoy in terms of being active outdoors are the ways that, how do you get to, how do you get to school? I walked. You walked to school, go on, so go and tell us, what's your journey like? Like, it's a 20-minute walk, so it's not like it's that long. But it's quite nice. Like, this morning, it was, like, nice and sunny, so I was just, like, listening to music, walking to school. So it's, like, refreshing. It's just, like, a bit nice before school to not be, like, rushing around and be able to take your time walking to school. And is there anything about that route? So when you think about your walks, it's a familiar walk. Is there anything about that walk that feels particularly safe and somewhere that you do feel comfortable walking on your own? I think just all of it, because... I've lived like around here my whole life. So I'm just like used to everything. So all of it kind of feels safe. What about you? What's your experience? Well, I walk home with my sister, but we walk, we take the tram when we go. So sometimes I feel really paranoid going on the tram because of the people on there. Sometimes it just doesn't feel safe, especially when it's dark outside, like in winter. It gets really dark quickly. So it just feels unsafe. I feel like I'm more safer if there's loads more people around. So like if, I, if I'm walking home from school, like the main road because there's loads of people there and when I don't feel safe is like when there's no one there but like one person which is like I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody or anything like a man like a grown man of course I'm going to feel like scared of anything so like when I, when I was uh, doing my catering shopping for catering I was walking and there's like some random guy behind us and of course our first we're gonna I'm gonna overthink it like I'm like to my sister Bushra run run so we just run home but even though he wasn't following us like it's just them those because of course news and everything so it's really scary mm. would you have felt safer if he'd crossed over yeah so stuff like that i think i've had that happen before where it's a man's crossed the street and i've instantly felt less threatened and i think that's a really simple way that people can be actively supportive of making the streets feel safer and but then i always think the, the reverse side i feel sorry for the men for whom genuinely aren't a threat because they're having to change their behaviour because of the societal attitudes that have pervaded us to make us not feel safe. So there's little things that we can we can all do. And especially things like hoods up. 
Oh, yeah. um, or like COVID, yeah, with masks that, mm. you know, like anytime you couldn't clearly see someone, I think as well makes a big difference because then you're thinking, are they hiding their identity for a reason? <laughs> so that point around more people and often as well, particularly more people in their diversity and more people that look like us as well makes us often feel safer so a big part of that is just getting more people out <laughs> like it sounds like if we're if we're telling ourselves or people telling us that it's not safe to go then no streets and places become empty don't they if we're there and we're occupying them naturally people keep people safer I'm just very conscious like as teenagers What's your experience then of being out, you know, in parks and things? Because sometimes it's the opposite way around. People go, if you're a group of teenagers, chatting and being sociable in a park can be perceived by others as a threat and as antisocial, which I think is actually a huge issue, a cultural issue we need to get past as well. Because where are you meant to go (laughs) and be outside? I feel like there is a big stigma around teenagers. Like if I'm just going to the park with my friends, I feel like I will get like a few looks and like, People like taking their children away because it looks like we're up to something bad, even though we're not. So you feel like you've noticed other people respond to you. And how does that make you then feel? Just like quite sad that they have to feel that way because other people are like that. Like I go out with my friends sometimes because like me and my friends are quite loud like when we're out. But it's not like, it's like a happy loud. It's not like an intimidating loud, but we still get looks sometimes. But I still try my best to like smile at everyone so they don't feel like intimidated. But sometimes it doesn't work because people judge like too fast. If you've got a favourite place that you like to go to, is there somewhere that you like to go that does feel safe, does feel joyful? The Trafford Centre. So what is it about the Trafford Centre? It's just it, the vibes. Like it's just, there's so many people and it feels like, it's just nice. It's a nice place to be. There's so many shops you can go shopping. So, so there's people, there's vibes. There's food. Stuff to do. It's Jeremy? very well lit. And I think there's lots of spaces where you can sit without having to buy anything, um, you know, like around the fountains or but just benches in the corridors as well. I think that helps. I like to go to like my mate's house, just a safe space where no one can really get us. I think, again, going to like my friend's house, but I also go to like town quite a lot because obviously I go to draft centre as well, but like the town, town's like a lot bigger and there's a lot of different things you can do. So say if you're on like Market Street and it's like crowded, you can go like, somewhere else like the northern quarter or something where it's less quiet but it's also not like unsafe Hmm. so again where there's lots of people and stuff to do and things to say Sana? Um, for me like coffee shops because they have a really nice atmosphere and everyone's just kind of doing their own thing so it's not threatening at all and are there places more on your doorstep here that you think oh that could feel a bit different maybe you know things we could change that would make the place, the physical environment, maybe feel a bit more like those other places that you like to go to? Because, like, where I live, like, in the day and in the night, it's a lot different. Like, in the day, because you've got, like, families, like, picking up children from school and stuff like that, so it feels a lot safer. But then at night time, like, it changes quite a lot. Yeah. So it depends, like, when you go out. There's been so many murders near where I live, and it's really scary. Like, there's been, like... Yeah. yeah. I think um, the rejuvenation of Stratford Mall and I think the opening up of the canal specifically will be really transformational for our community. I think that's something I'm really looking forward to and especially 
the canal because it's often quite enclosed, like for running, particularly I think like having some open stretches and perhaps like better lighting along there would make those spaces more benches maybe as well so that people can actually stop and have a seat because then you're more likely to come across people when you're travelling. But I think, I hope that opening up that space in Stratford Mall will make it feel like town or the Trafford Centre in terms of that community vibe that is a space where people can gather that's welcoming and safe. Mm. So there's some great opportunities just around here, aren't there? Because there is there's the redevelopment around Stratford Precinct and the redevelopment along the canal. Also changes to the road right in front of the school here as well to make it feel much safer. Currently it's quite dominated by cars, isn't it? It's quite hard to cross the road. It's I'm not sure how safe you feel if you're walking or cycling. So there's a real opportunity locally. Um, so I hope all of you get involved in any of those kind of consultations and can get your voice in there and, and really seize that as an opportunity to help shape your local place in a way that yeah makes it a wonderful community vibe and somewhere that you want to be thank you for sharing yeah your stories and experiences and for being real like activists and change makers and please hold on to that because you can you can and you will make change happen now i'm joined online by three people who are working day in day out to improve the lives and futures of young people in trafford and across greater manchester hi my name's Catherine martland i'm the violence reduction coordinator for trafford council my name's michael phipps i'm the community lead in the greater manchester violence reduction unit the greater manchester violence reduction unit was established in october 2019 as a team of subject leads and experts from lots of key sectors and agencies, including Greater Manchester Police, Voluntary Community and Social Enterprise Organisations, the NHS and Youth Justice. The unit's role is to address the underlying causes of violence and to work together with communities to prevent it. Also joining the conversation today is Mark. I'm Mark Nesbitt. I'm one of five directors of the Urban Fitness Collective based in Trafford, Greater Manchester. The Urban Fitness Collective, or TUFC, which it's sometimes known as, is a social enterprise based in Stretford in North Trafford that uses sport to help young people make positive decisions in their life. I start by asking Catherine why safer streets matter to her and to her work. My role is based across the whole of Trafford, so it's really important that particularly young people in my line of work have access to streets that they feel are safe so that they can get out and engage in activities and access spaces in the local community that are beneficial for their well-being you know their mental health the physical health. So Michael why do safer streets matter to you in your work? I suppose it matters to me as a human being not just necessarily to my work as well but I suppose my my work is um, I do work for the violence reduction unit and it is all about making sure that whatever we do we're listening to communities and co-designing what the solution should be with them and not not imposing solutions on local people. I suppose what's important is that we're getting the voices of the young people and the residents who live there as to what what types of things would help them to feel safer. So the community-led approaches is about working with communities and making sure that we co-design services based on their need. So it's about not doing to a community, it's about working with a community and making sure that services and interventions are designed with local residents. And Mark? I go back to my my childhood and my youth. None of us were afraid of the streets. We were afraid of some people. But when I grew up, we, you know, we, we was never in the house. We was always on the street. We was always with friends. 
and we didn't need to re-own them or own them. There's just places to be. I brought up in Gorton, if people know Manchester, Bellevue, Gorton, back-to-back Coronation Street type houses back in the day. So it, it, it was just an enjoyable life. I just enjoyed my lifestyle and my childhood so much. I've got three sisters, three younger sisters. Never played with them, but they was, they was out and about. And if, in some cases, if I went in early, and early being seven or eight o'clock in the evening, that was early to go back in when you're in your early teens, 10, 11, 12. When you go in early, my mum used to kick me back out again because it's not it wasn't bedtime. <laughs> I'd go out for another hour. I'm like, oh, well, my mates have gone in. Well, yeah, go do something yourself. And I would want to get back to where young people, that's from eight upwards, possibly seven upwards, Young people can just go and play out. And more so that parents can allow that to happen. Because sometimes it's the fearful parent who prevents young people from being on the street. For, for me, there's quite a big agenda here in regards to how do we reclaim streets for young people. And more so for us in my role is we want more young people to be more independent and to get to us under their own steam. And you know, as, as a keen cyclist and a member of Trafford Cycle Forum, I, I want to be, enable people to be able to walk and cycle about not being fearful of the environment. And that's the physical environment as well as cars and other things that could be hurtful to them. So you've seen in your lifetime a change from your experience of growing up to what you now see young people's experience of, of growing up, you know, and not that distant, not that far of a distance between, yeah, sort of Gorton, Manchester and um, Trafford. And, you know, I remember, yeah, my mum kicking me out the door going, just go out and play. It's not a phrase that I've used very often with my three boys. Yeah, I'm, I've got an 18 and a 19 year old now. And no one, not one, not one of their friends have knocked on my door here. And I live in Stratford and I've been living here uh, for 20 years. Because they'll text him now, though, won't they? They'll text him. Sorry to jump in, but they'll text him and go outside. Like, they won't do that thing of knocking on and saying, I am Mr. Whatever or I am Joe Mark. They don't do that. Like, like kids have lost some of that ability to speak to people, like, to speak to speak to people as well, because they'll, they'll, te- they'll text him. So they won't just go and speak to you as their dad. They'll text him and they'll meet him at the end of the street. You know, they won't go and knock on for people anymore. So there was a bit of research, wasn't there, that showed, you know, how much young people's worlds had shrunk. So it showed kind of a map of, you know, a few generations ago and how far young people, kids were able to potentially wander freely, independently, and how that has shrunk over time to being a much smaller area and sphere around their house, which, you know, when you think about progress, feels like we've gone in completely the wrong direction in terms of enabling people to have that level of freedom and independence. So what, you know, Mark's given a couple of examples. You've talked about, you know, maybe a a fear of being on the streets and also parents' role in maybe stopping people. I mean, what would you add, Michael, in terms of, you know, what do you hear? What is it that gets in the way currently of people experiencing our streets? I think a lot of it is like you say, that the, the way young people socialise has changed. I've got nephews at teenagers and a lot of them will be in on the games or they'll go out when they're playing football. So when we used to go outside and just chill, 
you know what I mean? Like you would just hang about on the street or whatever. You go and meet your mates outside a certain place and you just chill. I was speaking to somebody the other day and she was talking about she wouldn't let her son or daughter out unless they were going to an organised activity. So is that a fear of the young person? No, it's a fear of his mum. And she was saying, well, I don't think the parks are safe. And nothing's happened in that park for to make her think that. But she says, well, it's just quite dark and I wouldn't want my son or daughter going through that park because it because it's dark. But as a young person, we were always on the street or in the park where it was dark and that was that was fine. That was what we wanted to be. It's like everybody should feel safe, but her, her fear there was the fear of the unknown. I suppose what some people experienced years ago would have been mugging street robberies. They've been about for years. That isn't a new thing. Do you know what I mean? Is that something that some people will fear? Well, yeah, everybody's got like expensive phones now which I didn't have when I was 15 I think I got my first phone at 16 and it was a brick but possibly yeah it's a lot of money that you don't want to, to lose that's your lifeline as a kid isn't it um a lot of people are going around and you know they've got designer coats designer bikes you know everybody's up so I don't know where that fear comes from because I can't put myself in the mind of a 14 year old I haven't experienced what they're experiencing it'd be good to understand it from them that's really interesting because a lot of people have spoken to that point of a fear that doesn't come from an actual experience of a threat but has been socialised, it's been internalised, that there's been this constant message that it's dark, this isn't safe, don't go there, <laughs> that then as parents we naturally adopt. I think people's perceptions have changed. If, if, if you would have seen that years ago, that's what people did. They, that, like, they chilled, they socialised, they just hung about, that's what you did. Whereas if you would have seen that now, let's say if you've seen 15, 20 teenagers at the end of your old, you'd be like, what are they doing? And you'd probably tell your son or daughter not to be, like, you probably might be apprehensive about letting them do that. Whereas when we were younger, that's just what you did. When I was younger, I was buzzing when there was nothing to do. Like, and you just hang about with your mates. You didn't necessarily have to be an organised activity on. You were just out. It's a hard one, isn't it? I think I echo what Michael said in terms of young people tend to hang around a lot less now. But I guess there's phones, Xboxes, Playstations, you know, thousands of TV channels to access. It is, it's a, it's a difficult difficult balance to strike, isn't it? Because we want kids to be out and we want them to be enjoying themselves and doing things, go, you know, engaging in activities. But does that need to be constantly that there's a youth worker there or should, should young people not just be able to go and go to the park and, you know, and use the equipment and have a kick around with the mates and whatever else? So what challenges do you see in terms of trying to create those sort of safe and welcoming environments for young people in in Trafford in your work, Catherine? Generally, the young people that I'm working with are young people who have some some challenges, might be engaging in some crime or antisocial behaviour. And what we try and do is give those young people access to activities and entertainment where there is that support available. So it's it's about meeting young, young people in the places that they are. So whether that's hanging around in a park or outside the shops or you know wherever you might typically find groups of young people and sending youth workers out um football coaches things like that to go and engage with them in them spaces and allow them to still be children in that way you know and and enjoy the community but also do that in a safe manner and we know that not all young people are the same right (laughs) they're as diverse as our population is as a whole and they're all going to have different you know economic cultural social kind of characteristics and things that distinguish them and different interests and different fears and different joys you know what do you see in here mark in in your work through tough sea in terms of the things that you know will enable us to create far more kind of cohesive environments that are going to be safe and joyful for all young people yeah i could reel off a list of things i suppose pre-wi-fi is a 
It's a huge drag now. Swimming, would you believe, is a massive attraction. Sometimes I think it's just a freedom to do, a freedom to be. You know, I was reflecting because just around the corner on the quadrant, there's a there's a burger place just behind Old Trafford Cricket Ground. And early evenings, there's about half a dozen young lads, mountain bikes on the floor, and they seem to be playing some sort of dice or card game. And that's great to see. I love that because they feel safe. They're doing some stuff. But I assume that for others, they couldn't think in the same way as that. So they would be thinking, actually, what are those kids doing there? Why are they there? And so there's there's a, there's a negativity placed upon young people just because they're young people out and about doing stuff. Sometimes, you know, we try to create too much. I mean, we've just been reflecting on back in the day when there was nothing that we needed to create apart from our own minds, really. Our parents didn't create anything. We'd never seen a social worker, care worker, uh, youth worker. We didn't see any anybody on the street helping us to create stuff. The space was there and we just created what was there. And so sometimes it's it's not necessarily about what we as adults should create, but I suppose it's about a feeling. We was asked to go to a park in Sale. This is Urban Fitness. I had a meeting with the friends of the local park group there. And the local friends group were concerned about groups of young people gathering in the park. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> local local kids gathering in their local park. And there was some antisocial behaviour, and that was the concern. They wanted to encourage more local young people into the park, but discourage any antisocial behaviour and give them things to do. And so there, there is... A recognition that actually spaces are there, spaces for everybody, and how can create the environment and the energy to ensure that those spaces are respected and owned by everybody. Because when you feel it's not owned by you, then that's when likely you know the, you're down a path of well, it's not mine. Who cares? And so a bit of damage here, although unwarranted is maybe not necessarily a bad thing for us to occupy ourselves. Michael, are there any um, examples that you can point to across Greater Manchester of where, you know, people have managed to create safe spaces that young people feel they do belong and do have that sense of ownership? And what do they look like? How do they come to being? There's a community in Bolton that we're working with, and it's part of this community-led approach, which we started to community engagement in Gauze Hill. But everywhere is actually you know, at a different stage of the community engagement. 18 months ago, we started doing community engagement on an estate where it had quite really high levels of antisocial behaviour. And when I started speaking and engaging with the community, they said, look, they said, five years ago, our community centre shut down. Or the community didn't shut down, but a college took it over, so the community felt pushed out. And that used to have a local dad that had done the boxing in there for 30 years, my mum had done mothers and baby groups, there was food banks, there was community events out of there. But when that shut down, the antisocial behaviour went through the roof because there was no activity. It had a youth work a couple of nights of the week, boxing, etc. When that went, there was nothing else. And because of where the estate was located and because of poverty, the young people were not getting the bus to go boxing, which was two areas away, or into the town centre to go to the youth centre. If it wasn't on their estate, they weren't interested, not weren't interested, but they couldn't access it. Yeah, so we, we worked with the young people and the residents on that estate and tried to co-design a plan of what they wanted. The guy that did the boxing on there said, look, he said, I'm getting old now, I want to pass that baton on. 
And we identified four mums and four dads, who, and we've put them through their boxing coaching level one. And then they've now re-established his boxing club, which shut down five years ago. And the antisocial behaviour has dropped. I can't tell you by what percentage, but young people have got somewhere to go. They feel safer. They've got parents or local role models off their estate providing that activity. It isn't a service that's flown in. So that is a good example because we're consulted with young people. Like, well, what activities would you want rather than us design it? What would you want and where would you want it? Who would you want to deliver it? And they named the local organisations of who they'd want to be involved. So we would approach them and say, what could you do with a bit of funding? And we co-designed that plan for that community. But one thing I would say, there's a lot less parks and open spaces that there was when we were younger. There's a lot less of that, I think, cost has a massive impact on things. So if activities are on now, there's, there's quite a big cost to it. Um, a lot of people can't afford I think community cohesion is a big one as well. And what I see, what I mean by that is I always remember being out when you're younger and whether you were doing something that you shouldn't or not, you were always wary because you knew everybody in that area and everybody knew you or they knew your mum and dad. Whereas just thinking back to what Mark said before and his kids' friends would not even knock on the door and ask for his son or daughter anymore because they'll text him and meet him at the end of the street. Or, but the young people know, know the adults in the community and do they know each other's parents and families as well as what they did when we were younger? If you do... You sort of like feel safer because as a kid walking around, like, do you know what I mean? You feel like you know everybody around there and, oh, that's such a buddy's dad and he might do the football and you, you, you feel more part of the community. But if everybody just shuts the door and nobody comes out and there's none of those opportunities to engage as a community, it can feel a little bit like daunting, do you know what I mean? So I suppose community cohesion, are people integrated in communities well or are they just placed there? Yeah, I think you've got a really good point there because... First months of pandemic, we was all on the streets, weren't we? Clapping or, you know, speaking to our neighbours and give us a chance and give us a sense of, in, in, in my view, it gives us a sense of getting to know who your neighbours are rather than just, uh, you know, passing them in the car or, you know, passing them as you, as you walk past. In some cases, you know, two or three neighbours down, I didn't even know, I, I knew who they were, but I didn't even know the names and stuff. And it seems like, we you know, We've gone back into our houses again, and all of a sudden the WhatsApp groups aren't as lively anymore, and we're not we're not doing stuff. When you were younger, nobody as as a kid read the papers, so you you wasn't really aware of any of the negative stuff that was on in the papers because papers most it's a lot of negative stuff and it's going on. You wasn't aware of that. You might check a certain football score or whatever, but you you wasn't looking and reading the news as a child. Whereas because it's on your phone, whether that's an incident happened in your local area. Everybody's got access to that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it could fuel the fear. As a kid, I wouldn't have known if it was loads of crime unless it happened directly to you or your friends or somebody at school where it's getting verbally spoken about. Whereas now it's just pinged straight to everybody's phone when there's an incident. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a lot more attention is given and drawn to, isn't it? A lot of those negative examples. But they don't get bombarded in the same way by all the positive messages of all the people that are out on the streets, that are out in spaces, are out in parks every day, having, you know, joyful experiences. So that sense of community you've all talked about has been really, really important. How do we then create that sense of community for young people? And what role, we talk about young people's voice, but what role can young people play in creating that? Well, in the... Greater Manchester VIU development instruction unit. We've got a campaign at the moment called I Am Greater. Now, the message behind it is it's a youth-led campaign and the idea behind it is it's young people saying, as a young person in Greater Manchester, I am greater than violence. 
because they said they, they wanted to get they wanted it to be more aspirational because they wanted to do some sort of youth led campaign around violence reduction. But they said they didn't want it to be like your old school messages like drop the knife, you'll lose your life, etc. They wanted it to be more aspirational rather than just knife crime, knife crime, knife crime. So there's a youth led campaign and you can look at iamgreater.co.uk and have a look at examples and there's young people on there who have personally been affected by serious youth violence, whether that's themselves or their brothers or close friends, family, whoever. Um, and they're going on giving hope, talking about their aspirations for the future. And it's just young people talking about things in a positive way and, and sort of like reclaiming that space. Do you know what I mean? Rather than it just, just accepting what the Fed is negative, they're, they're flipping on his head. Well, can't we focus on the positives? We have got hopes, we have got aspirations, and it's, and it's brilliant to focus on that. So really reframing it into a positive and what we'd like to see. So what are the other things, Catherine, in terms of your work in Trafford? I think a big one is those safe spaces, being able to go to the parks and feel like they're safe. And that can be a, a whole range of things from the people who are accessing those parks with them, you know, if they're concerned that crime is going on, but also the lighting being good, them being able to get there. Someone, one of my colleagues described the day that he got his first bike the other day as being the day that he got his freedom. And I thought that was massive. It's not something that I'd ever really thought about. But as a child, especially if you don't have much access to money and, you know, it was 20p to get on the bus when I was little. It's it's a hell of a lot more than that now. So if you don't have access to that, but you've got access to a bike, that really opens up so much of the local community to you. But if young people don't feel like they're confident to ride on the streets or get to particular places, then that's a massive barrier. It, it really sort of reduces that independence for them, especially the the safe spaces is something that's that comes up time and time again, particularly young people in the area around Old Trafford when there's people coming to watch the football and that you know, that whole area becomes gridlocked with cars. There are hundreds of thousands of people walking past the houses and they don't feel like they then, they've got the spaces that they can go and use. So I think all of that is big. But the main thing for me is having that consultation with young people and how we do that. Because I suppose that's the aspiration. The aspiration is to hear from young people and get their views and, and work with them to make spaces that they feel they've been involved in creating. It's working out how do we speak to young people because if you post a survey on Facebook, they're not going to see it. Most likely, if you post a letter through the door, that's going to be picked up by the adults in the house. So it's it's about how we get out and speak to young people in ways that, that suit them. I suppose we need to change the narrative. When we want to engage young people to create a safe space or to do or to create an activity and stuff, it's always our narrative going saying, well, we want you to come to us we want you to do this, so we'll go to you and what do you think about this? And so it's always coming from an adult perspective. It's about how do we turn that round and how do we get young people interested in in safe spaces? And I, and, I, and I mentioned that because we was asked by Trafford Council, can we go out and engage young people in the redevelopment of Stratford Leisure Centre because all the consultation mechanisms didn't hit any young people? And they wanted young people to be involved. But all of the current mechanisms that the council have got fail miserably to engage young people. They need to be able to trust, whether it's us as urban fitness, whether it's their football coach, well, whoever it is, they need to they need to be able to hear that message from someone that they trust and not someone who's just rolled up. As, as a council employee or as an employee of the, the leisure centre to say, what do you think about this? If they use a trusted organisation or person, which is why Trafford Leisure 
and the council have come to Tough Sea because we can go out and have that have that conversation in a trusted environment and a valued environment. And I think that's the key. My final point is that we, we, we talk about green spaces and parks and stuff, muggers, you know, and they tend to be uh, away from mainstream, whereas what I want is to create spaces in plain sight of everybody else. We talked about natural surveillance, people coming and going. So entrances, talk about takeaways, entrances to Stratford Mall, entrances to the council offices, where people will always be and always want. That's where people, that's where young people get shifted from. Don't hang about outside the Stratford Mall. Don't hang about there. Move on, out the way, in a green field, sit down and, and do what you need. So adults tend to shoo and persuade young people to move into what they were may perceive to be less safe spaces. And then they're surprised when they don't go or they, they, they tend to turn back up on their doorstep again two days later saying, there's no Wi-Fi over there, mate, can I stay here? So you've talked between a number of examples of ways in which spaces can be made to feel safe. So a sense of community between both young people and the adults that they're around. You've talked about, you know, the role that both parents and youth workers and others can play to help them facilitate spaces and activity and create safety in that sense by being present and offering opportunities to get involved in something. Um, you touched about some of the physical environment piece, so you know a bit about lighting and some of the things that can make a space feel safer, not having been bombarded by by cars and and not being bombarded by negative social media messages that tells you this is a place that is dangerous because you know an incident happened to somebody else who may or may not be a bit like you. So the whole list there of of some things. Is there anything you'd want to say as a final reflection in terms of anything you've heard in particular? Of that from the perspective of girls and young women that we need to do? I went to an event um, last week that was concentrating on how uh, community support can help reduce violence. And one of the points that they made were was about how many fewer girls access activities, so any sporting activities, um, but the percentage of girls accessing things is way less than boys. And I suppose that really stuck out for me as something that we need to work on in terms of what is it that girls want to be doing? You know, have we gone out and asked that question? And is the barrier that they don't feel safe getting to the activity? Is it that they don't feel welcome when they're there? Are, are there not the right activities for them to complete that they're interested in? And I guess ex- explore that in terms of allowing girls to access more things that might not need to be a girls only activity, but just something where they feel like that is a space for them to go and use. Yeah, move and give us a couple of some couple of grand, I think, some money to do some roller skating and predominantly that was that was young girls so out of the we saw about 60 70 young people come this is in Ermston 60 or 70 people come on a Friday evening and 90% of that was young girls and that was purely word of mouth young girls saying come have, have a good time and and so sometimes it's the activity that draws that uh, young girls who feel safer in numbers of more girls. Sometimes, you know, mums of young daughters would want their daughters to be with girls rather than maybe with boys and girls for various different reasons. So sometimes it's maybe we 
would want to look at girl-only, women-only spaces. Our women-only swimming that were introduced in Stratford Leisure many years ago still continuing. Uh, and now there's a women-only swimming, Muslim women group activity going on there as well. And so sometimes it's about addressing specific need and targeting that specific need. Just consult with them. I can tell you what it's like to be a young female and what I think should happen. I think we've got to ask them. Don't do a service like thinking this is how they'd want it. Ask them to, at the start of it rather than wait till we've set it up as adults and then nobody attends it. Have them involved from the start. And I think there's, you know, we work uh, as urban fitness on as peer to peer approach, really. And so as adults, we, we're behind the scenes and it's young people working with other young people, first of all, to us as a, a, a role model, and secondly, to encourage uh, positive behaviour. And some of that positive behaviour is, you know, trying to reduce the perception of fear in certain spaces. I can't go there because, well, you can. And if you can't go there and you think you can't go there, why can't you? So let's, let's reduce that barrier. And so sometimes messages come better from peers rather than from perceived adults and parents so young people are often excluded from processes of designing streets and spaces and don't therefore have get to shape spaces in a way that works for them and have a sense of ownership of them there's increasing opportunities now to involve people in thinking about urban design and the built environment and you know it is potentially an an exciting area in which young people can develop skills to reimagine and rethink what our places look and feel like. I suppose, for example, when I talked about the Bolton example before, when I spoke to some of the young people there, they were saying, well, do you know, why wouldn't we be antisocial? Look at our estate, look at this and look at that. And they were, oh, they were telling you about the negative things that they see every day. And what happened there was this wasn't anything that necessarily needed a lot of funding, but there was a local community green space action group that was set up and young people love to get involved and it was a housing local housing association that was there that knew this this man who loved gardening and doing up to shoes areas to give him a load of tools. He set up a community WhatsApp group and they've gone round as a community doing up the areas and just instilling a bit more of that community pride. Yeah, exactly. And that can come out in all sorts of ways, can't it? It might be that it's actually, you know, you graffitiing and you're doing great public art in a space that creates a sense of ownership. And then I guess there are, you know, some of the more permanent changes to our streetscape that young people could be more directly involved in, in not just influencing through their voice, but actually in, in doing and creating. What I've found in my experience is that the people who are leading streetscape, public realm, redevelopment, architects, road planners, engineers, they are so far removed from young people who occupy those streets or may wish to occupy in a positive way those streets. They're building a different world for me. And so when we ask, well, what about young people? Who's engaging them? How can we engage them in a different way? And where's the, more importantly, where's the resource to make that happen? Oh, well, hmm, can you get them to fill in this questionnaire? Well, it's not good enough. And so we as adults need to change the, the way that we look at how we engage young people into into how we co-design, redesign and stuff that Michael was doing over in Bolton. 
co-design and co-production has been around for years. It's just that there's been there's hardly any money for it. And it, it, that process takes a lot of time and effort and resources. And in small places, it really does work, like what Michael was saying. I'll just give another perspective to that, because I actually was involved in a bit of a consultation a few days ago about some plan development to one of the other leisure centres in Trafford. And before any consultation has even taken place, what the team who've been managing that have done is they've gone to all of the local community groups, so churches, schools, youth centres. So right from sort of toddler groups all the way through to the groups for older people who were going out and doing exercise and things and sat down with them and said, what are the questions that we need to be asking? What do we need to consider? How do we get people to come and understand that this is something that, you know, is going to be really beneficial for them? And it was about not just engaging the people who already use those facilities, but people who don't and why might, you know, why might they not use those facilities? And it was really simple stuff. It was you've got to think about the fact that this is school drop-off time, so no one's going to come at that point because they'll all be on school drop-off. So these events that you've penciled in aren't going to work. Can you put some food on? Because if you want them done in the evening and people have got to get the kids fed, then, you know, if there's a bit of food for them to, to access while they're there, then great. Is there anything else that we can we can use to bring people in? So I think those conversations are happening. I'm sure there's probably some, some work still to be done and it's hard to reach everybody in the communities. But I think that's it, isn't it? It's using those partners like yourselves mark like all of the other groups and different people that we have across trafford to to pull that conversation in and and get to everybody thanks for listening to this episode of the right to the streets edition of the gm moving podcast we've heard a lot of this episode about the importance of shifting cultural norms which severely limits young people's freedom to get about and enjoy the streets and places where they live. And we've heard about the need to work with and listen to young people to ensure we better design places which reflect their needs and ideas. As this podcast is just the start of the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. What have you seen help make the difference for more child-friendly and young people-friendly streets and places? How do you ensure that young people's voices are heard? Perhaps ask a young person you know, what makes streets feel safe and welcoming to them? Or if you're a young person, let us know your experiences and what good looks like to you and your friends. Whatever it is, let us know and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. Tell us on social media, we're on Twitter and LinkedIn. Simply search GM Moving or Greater Sport. Or you can leave us a voicemail. It's really simple and free, and you can record on your computer or on your phone. You can find the link in this episode's show notes and on our GM Moving website. Just search Right to the Streets podcast. A big thanks to everyone who has contributed to this episode. We'll be releasing more episodes throughout the next few months, so keep an eye on our social media pages for when the next one will be released. Or simply hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. This means the latest episode will go straight into your library as soon as it's released. This Right to the Streets series, the Dream Moving podcast, is one element of the Right to Streets project, led by Great Sport, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and other GM Moving partners, thanks to funding from the Home Office for Safer Streets. This series is a Mike Media production.